for me that I call my own. Through the dark, through the door, through where no one's been before, but it feels like home. They can say, they can say it all sounds crazy. They can say, they can say we lost our minds. I don't care, I don't care, so call me crazy. We can live in a world that we design. Cause every night I lie in bed, the brightest colors fill my head. A million trees I keep. Have goosebumps. I just love that song so much. We blast it in our car all the time, like volume all the way up, bass all the way up. And I even work out to that song sometimes, I'll admit. I just love it. And I think part of it is just the innocence of a child and their imagination and the things that they dream about. 
I know when I was little, I had some really crazy dreams. Some of them came true, but most of them didn't, thank God, because I did not want to be um, a gymnast, even though I thought I did. Um, you watch the Olympics, and you're like, yes, that's it. I am going to be a gymnast, or I am going to be a concert pianist, but apparently you have to practice, so that didn't work out for me too good. Um, I wanted to be a fashion designer, but you got to draw. Can't do that. Uh, but I did want to be a mom. That's one thing that I got to become, and that's been pretty awesome some days. Some days it's not quite so awesome. Like you dream it's going to be this way, and then you have other days that are not quite so much like that. Like my sister and I used to play house in our backyard. We, my grandpa built us a playhouse, and so we would play in that, and that was our big, beautiful home. Of course, you go back now, and it's way smaller than I remember it. And we would uh, play in our basement. Our basement was an unfinished basement, so obviously everything was on roller skates. Uh, I dreamed of being a figure skater also. And we would do our figure skating to Amy Grant, age to age record. <laughs> that dates me a little bit. But then we were also, uh, I mean, still on roller skates, but Charlie's Angels, not, not, not the Cameron Diaz. These are the originals, okay? This is what Charlie's Angels really was. Were, were. So we were uh, Charlie's Angels, and we would like skate across the floor. We'd grab onto whatever we could, spin around because our husbands would come home and spin us around because they were so thrilled to see us, and that happens every day, <laughs> not in my house. Our husbands also, by the way, were the, either the Cassidy brothers. I know some of you are like, who the heck is that? Well, I don't even really know because I didn't even listen to their music. I just knew they were super cool, kind of like Jonas Brothers, I guess, maybe. Uh, or my sister and I would fight over Bo and uh, Luke Duke. Um, I wanted Bo, she wanted Bo, and then some of us would have to just end up with Luke. But Our children were Cabbage Patch Kids, ugliest children on the planet, and they had super weird names, but that's okay. They were still our beautiful children, and we had all of these dreams of what things were going to be like. Uh, I, but then I become a mother of daughters, and I mean dolls and dress up and all that kind of stuff was so fun and they played wedding all the time apparently Taylor did not get picked to be a bridesmaid on this one but Allie did and it was just so much fun we have so many cute videos of them playing wedding and it was real I mean it was very real to them uh, I remember one time hearing them say not one time I've actually heard it a few times I haven't heard it recently thankfully but pretend that you're nice to me um, <laughs> because it had to be our pretend world some days. <laughs> or there's this one time that they were playing a hair salon. Taylor was the hairdresser, and she's doing their hair, and Kami's like, Tay, you have to ask us questions. She's like, okay, so, like, how old are you? And Kami's like, 25. <laughs> and she's like, oh, so, like, how much do you weigh? And they're like, okay, we can't ask those questions. But that's the good thing about pretending is you learn what's appropriate, what's not, right? Then our boys, they like to play house too, believe it or not. They like to pretend they're dads, but they're superhero dads. They always have a battle to fight or somebody to rescue. And bless Georgia Cooper's heart, our neighbor, she comes over with her little brother, John, and she's kind of the one that has to take care of these crazy boys. But she plays with them, and the things that these kids come up with, oh, it's so precious, and I love it. It's so sweet. Imagining what your life is going to be like and what you dream of is really fun and cute, and it's so great to watch our kids imagine those things, but then real life hits, and you become a grown-up, and I will never forget. Like One of the days that really hit me is after Cammie was born, and the nurse comes in, she's like, all right, well, it's time for you to go home. 
And I'm like, what? Like, I'm not ready to go home. Don't you have, like, am I not supposed to pass a test or something? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. But apparently, they thought I could be a mother. And at one point, obviously, I thought I could be too. So I, they're like, okay, do you have an outfit to put her in? What? No, I didn't bring anything to take her home in. I felt so stupid. So she had to go home in this little hospital weird thing. I did bring clothes for me, though, and unfortunately, <laughs> come to find out, after you have a baby, you don't just drop the 50 pounds that you gained. So I still had to wear my pajamas home. And then Allie was born loud. I mean, she was born screaming, crying, and didn't stop crying for a very long time. She had acid reflux, and the girl, I'm pretty sure, broke records with how far she could vomit and the things that she got her vomit in. We, um, then Taylor was four pounds when we brought her home, teeny tiny. We had to set our alarm every two hours through the night to wake up and feed her. That was awesome. And you think you're sleep deprived, but then when you have to set your alarm to wake up, that just is, oh, so awful. And she also had the projectile thing going on. We had to replace our carpet and furniture after they were done with that because it was so nasty. So not exactly what I dreamed of, but the headbands and the ruffles forever is definitely what I dreamed of. I love having daughters. I love the feminine world. So that was a super fun part of it. Then we decided to adopt the boys when we go to Ethiopia and we're walking into the orphanage where Caleb is at. He has diarrhea up his back. He has a fever and he is terrified of us, especially Jason. So that was not exactly the, the sweet, beautiful movie moment that I thought it was going to be. And then we get to jo Joshua's orphanage to meet him for the first time, and he wants, like, nothing to do with us. All the other kids are wanting to sit on our laps and get their picture taken with us and everything, and Josh, like, mm, nope, no thanks. Well, then we bring them home, and it's parasites and ringworm, and I get ringworm from one of the boys. It was great. And... Uh, <laughs> Then we have to take Josh for an MRI. We knew something was off, and the MRI comes back, traumatic brain injury. Not what we had planned, not what we had hoped for. So what do you do when you have these dreams for what your life is going to be like, what your kid's life is going to be like, and it doesn't turn out the way you exactly hoped it would? I mean, I guarantee you today, as Amina is sitting in the hospital with Carter, and she's been there a week, after week after week with so many great big question marks. And a lot of you don't know who she is, but she is one of our faithfuls. And she's one that needs to be lifted up in prayer today especially. But there's just a lot going on that she did not dream of. She didn't plan for this. Nobody plans to have a diagnosis of autism on their child. Nobody plans to have a Down syndrome child. Nobody plans for their grown-up kids to get married and then watch them go through divorce. You don't plan for anxiety, depression on your family, on you. you. We don't dream of that. That's weird. So today I thought it would be kind of neat if we could take some time to focus on some women in the Bible that have gone through that. They've gone through crushed dreams. And sometimes you think they're crushed. They're just sidelined or benched, but sometimes they really are like, nope, not that one. we got to totally shift to a new one. So a lot of you have heard of Moses. Uh, Moses, before he was born, the new king of Egypt, who was a really evil, barbaric man, was very threatened by the Israelites. They were growing in number, they were growing in strength, and the only thing he could think of is to kill all newborn babies and ordered for them to be thrown into the Nile River. Well, Jochebed, the mother of Moses, when he was born, 
did everything she could to hide and protect him. But after a while, she's like, I can't, I can't hide him anymore. So she put him in a basket, covered the basket, and put him at the bank of the Nile River. His older sister, Miriam, came and just watched from a distance to see what would happen with him. And as she's watching, of all people, Pharaoh's daughter comes down to the Nile River to bathe, no less. That's weird. In the Nile River where these babies were thrown. And you would think what an awful person she must be. And she opens the basket that she finds, and it says that she showed compassion. She was drawn to this baby for some reason. And so Miriam saw that and was like, I know, I know a Hebrew woman that can care for your baby. Would you like me to go get her? She goes and grabs Moses' mother, brings him back, brings her back, and Pharaoh's daughter says, I will pay you to nurse him, care for him. I mean, that's ideal. I would have mind if somebody would have paid me to care for my babies, especially those sleepless nights. But then comes the time where it's time to bring him back. And she had to surrender him. That was not in her plan. She's surrendering him to somebody who is not going to raise him in the same faith, whose father had ordered his death, who could provide just about anything above and beyond what she ever thought she could imagine. That doesn't feel good. And wow, when I was reading that, I'm like, it was a really good moment for me to think about Joshua specifically. We didn't get to meet Caleb's mom, but we got to meet Joshua's birth mom. And I think about people like her today who had to do the ultimate. And I'm not just here to, I'm not going to, don't worry, I'm not going to talk about adoption all day. There are sacrifices, like there's surrender that moms have to do. And sometimes it's not this, it's something else. But to give up your child and not know and just have to surrender that dream to God of what you planned and say, God, I'm going to, I'm going to, trust you in this, and I'm going to go with your plan. I'm going to let you rewrite the story. What's really interesting about the story of um, Moses is down the road as an adult, you see why God allowed all of this, because he is living with the family who is holding Moses's family in oppression. And God comes to Moses and says, I need you to go before Pharaoh, and I need you to tell him I let my people go. And Moses is like, I, no, I don't, have, I don't have the ability to speak in front of people. He knew Pharaoh. It was his adopted grandfather. He knew him. He'd probably had other interactions where he's like, that man shuts me down. I'm scared of him. I stutter in front of him. I don't want to go before him. And God persists. I want you to do this. This is why you're here. And Moses pushes back. And finally, he's like, okay, your brother Aaron, we'll have him come alongside you and do that. Aaron and Moses grew up for the first few years together in the same household. They were taught faith, but eventually they had to be separated and they were raised in two different homes. You've got Moses who's raised by Pharaoh's daughter. I mean, the kid could have like the best gaming system on the planet, the newest car, the best clothes, the greatest vacations. I mean, he had it all. Aaron, on the other hand, grew up in oppression, in slavery, but he had it all. He had a family who loved the Lord, and he learned that that, that that is what's more valuable. Who's the one who had the most confidence? The guy who grew up in oppression, the one with all the impediments that we, we would, in our culture, call those impediments. Poverty, welfare, but he still had 
a loving home that taught him about who Jesus was and who God was. So as Aaron comes alongside Moses, Moses' faith continues to grow, and he does become fearless. Hebrews 11.23 says, By faith Moses' Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. I don't, know how you, I don't know how you wouldn't be afraid, except that you have a full, complete surrendering trust in God. And then Hebrews goes on to say that Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasure of Egypt. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, By faith, he kept the Passover. By faith, he led people through the Red Sea. So Moses saw his parents live in faith without fear, and that gave him then the courage to lead and live the same way. So then there's Hannah. Hannah wanted a son worse than anything, and her husband was married to somebody else also, two wives. Not a great idea. I mean, I will admit there are some days that I'm like, a sister wife would be nice today because I can't be in five places at once, but only to take my kids places. Let's just be clear about that. But this, this, was not, this other woman was not a nice woman. She just poked at Hannah and poked at her and made her feel horrible. And this one day she finally says to God, listen, I've asked you, I've asked you so many times to give me a child. If you give me a child, I will give him back to you to serve you for the rest of your life when he's old enough. And so that's what God does. He gives her Samuel. And when Samuel's old enough, she brings him to Eli, who is is the priest. And she brings him to the temple, and Eli raises him. Well, Samuel then becomes one of the first prophets. You are not a prophet unless you know the voice of God. You don't know the voice of God unless you're familiar with it. And you're not familiar with the voice of God unless you are a person of prayer. And Samuel became a person of prayer because his mother was a woman of prayer. He saw when her dreams didn't go exactly the way she planned, she turned to God in prayer, and that's what he learned. Then Samuel becomes the fir- one of the first prophets. He is the one to anoint the first king of the Israelites, Saul, and then he anoints David, the second king. Uh, Psalm 99 says, Samuel and Moses both were men of prayer. They're both mentioned by name together. They called on the name of the Lord, and he answered them. Um, Psalm 86, there's one mention in the Bible of David's mother, and it says, David's, uh, David, David said, I serve the Lord just as my mother did. So again, we're seeing like the mothers respond to broken dreams in a certain way, and the kids then just kind of naturally become like that. They follow in their footsteps in that way. But one of my favorites is Mary. So... I, like, I often will think about a modern-day version of this story, and Taylor is 15. So Mary was 14, 15, when an angel came to her. I mean, if Taylor came home and was like, so an angel came to me, <clears throat> I'm going to have a baby, um, and the Holy Spirit put it in my belly, we would be like, um, she has completely lost her mind. And also in our day and age, a girl gets pregnant, especially that young, oftentimes their first thing they turn to is abortion. Thank the Lord Mary didn't do that because our lives would be a heck of a lot different if she did. But instead, she said, okay, I'll do what you say. She said that. 
I imagine like once Jesus was born, it wasn't like, oh, all the ridicule is done now. He's born, he's here. This isn't like written in the Bible. But if we just think normally, like human beings interacting, when something weird like that happens, there are still people that are like, yeah, right. I guarantee you that she was facing ridicule all through her life. And people were pointing the finger, giving her snarky looks, not including her in so many different events or they're at family events or community events and it's like oh yeah the holy spirit's child or you know whatever it was jesus saw her respond and not retaliate he saw her turn the other cheek he saw her respond in gentleness and then when he was 12 years old we have like the bible version of home alone they're on this big journey a couple days into it they're like uh, I haven't seen Jesus for a while. Have you seen him? No. Have you seen, have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? Oh my gosh, where did you go? They, they backtrack. They find him in the temple. I mean, most of us would probably find our kid in that split second be like, oh, thank God, they're fine. And then I'm going to kill you. you. You have no idea what you've put me through the last 24 hours. But instead, it says that Mary treasured these things in her heart. So she just had a gentle response. And then there's the ultimate when Jesus is in the garden and he says, not my will, Lord, but yours. Just like Mary did when the angel came to her and said, you're going to have a baby. It's not going to make any sense. And she says, yes, okay, I'll do that. Jesus went through a life of being rejected, ridiculed, just like his mother. And he learned, turn the other cheek. He was still human. He still was tempted. So he still learned, and he learned from his mother. When he's on the cross, one of the last things that he says is to John, take care of my mother, because there was a tight bond there. There was something that he learned from her. I mean, I'm telling you, if I was Mary, well, obviously, there's so many obvious reasons I was never picked for that position, (laughs) but if I was Mary, I mean, when when they're at this big wedding and they run out of wine, I mean, I'm not saying that Mary didn't maybe have a little ulterior motive here, kind of a quiet motive, like they're out of wine, Jesus, I need you to um, do something about this. And Jesus says to his mom, "I'm, I'm not, it's not my time yet. I'm not supposed to do this stuff yet. And she doesn't even pay attention to him saying that. She just says to all the other workers, just do what he says. Now, I would take it a step further if it was me and find the people that were being snarky, mean to me at different times and be like, so, how's that wine? (laughs) My son made it from water. Your son can't make wine even from grapes? Oh, well, mine can heal the, the sick. He can give sight to the blind. He can give hearing to the deaf. He's gonna raise people from the dead. He's gonna die for your sins. I mean, but that's the snarky me. That's the version that I imagine. I have really, I have these fantasy little (laughs) versions of things and like these conversations sometimes that good thing they stay in my head. But anyway, like so Jesus, he became, he was an obedient, gentle, kind, loving God and he was that as, as a man. And I believe a lot of that, yes, is because he was God. But he saw that displayed in his mom. Jochebed, Hannah, and Mary didn't dream of struggle or heartbreak. But when their hopes were sidelined, they were willing to burn 
their own script and allow God to write a new one. Um, I want you guys to get to watch this video of the Veldmans. Uh, Craig is one of the principals at the middle school, and Tara helps with our women's ministry. They're such a beautiful family and have such an amazing story of how God can work through when our dreams don't turn out just the way they want, we want them to and what he can do in that. God loves her more than even I do, and I love her so much. She's yours, Lord, and I know that I'm just here to take care of her because she's yours. We met at Hope College where we both attended and we got married just after college. We went five years, just the two of us. We ended up deciding we wanted to start a family and after about that five years, we, you know, had our first son, Drew, and two years after that, we had Elise, you know, kind of like the, the perfect family with a, with a son and a daughter, and, you know, it just was kind of how we had in, in, imagined it going, and, um, you know, and then and when Elise was born, um, kind of that path changed a little bit. When she came in, everything seemed normal. Life just started going with two kids, and at her two-week appointment, the doctor came in the room and said, your daughter had a positive screening for um, the newborn screen. And I remember sitting there thinking, screening? Like, I know that they do newborn screens, but I wasn't thinking what, he, what it was. And he said, well, this one is for cystic fibrosis. And so Craig came immediately and met me there, and. Um, they continued to do some testing on her. And my mind was just flowing, and being a nurse that I was, I, I just kind of was thinking of all the kids I've taken care of with cystic fibrosis, and um, it was just so overwhelming to me. I wanted the doctor to call me and not Tara, and so I remember that phone call, um, you know, in my classroom, and, and, and driving home and, and telling Tara, and that was a... I remember when you walked through the door, and he was supposed to be at school, and I knew that it wasn't good news. And it was bittersweet, because we found out that Elise had cystic fibrosis, and Drew was, did not have it. And he wasn't even a carrier, so he got, you know, the genes that didn't have the trait, where Elise got both genes that had the cystic fibrosis trait. After Elise was diagnosed, um, I moved into a really, really dark season. I allowed CF to control my mind. It gave me anxiety. It gave me fear of the unknown of her future. And it shattered the dreams that you have for your kids. And I never thought that I would have to fight for a child um, like this, or in this way as a mom and I was looking too much in the future and not enjoying and being intentional in the days that we, we, were, we had. And even at that point, we, we did some counseling and you, you know, we went to, to a counselor and even at that point, it was almost like she was already grieving for Elise, you know, during that time, you know, like, like she was grieving a loss of um, what she thought, you know, her daughter would be. But I felt like I also had to, kind of be that rock for Tara and for, you know, having a newborn baby and the emotions that even just go with just a normal pregnancy, you know, after uh, childbirth and now to kind of throw this in the mix, it was, it was a lot. I remember sitting in church and they were talking about a sermon about rebuilding the wall 
and Nehemiah, and he, the pastor said, what do you, in your life, do you need to rebuild? And I remember just sitting there thinking, I need to rebuild the way I'm thinking about this disease. And so when we got out of church, I brought it up to Greg and I said, I really need to start, start fresh. I said, I really want Elise to grow up thinking that this is a gift or a platform for her to use, you know, in her daily life and not to be something that was sad or something that um, was bad. But I remember specifically that Craig was outside in the side yard and was watching her run down the hill. And I just remember saying, I have to let her go. I have to let her be what God wants her to be. Even though it was my dream to keep her and protect her. And that he had better dreams for her than I could imagine. We were devastated at times, but then looking back and just, you know, seeing God use Elise in situations that at the time maybe we thought were, were not good and seeing the good and the, the richness come out of that um, was, was definitely, you know, amazing. It still amazes us today as we see Elise and how she interacts with other people and how she, she really has a heart for people who maybe struggle with certain things or are different um, because she feels it. God loves her more than even I do and I love her so much. And his love for her was more freeing to her than even mine because I was putting her in a box or in a bubble and saying, don't anybody, you know, take her from me. And I just kind of was like, she's yours, Lord. And I know that I'm just here to take care of her because she's yours. It was freeing and it was scary, but that lifting of heaviness and coming out and finding joy again, it was awesome. Because I could enjoy her everyday life and I could enjoy Drew's life and I could enjoy our family again because I wasn't sitting there letting CF just weigh on our family. Um, I like golf and basketball. And I like to sing and hang out with my family and stuff like that. <laughs> um, she helps me every morning and she really thinks of others. She takes me to my appointments like for checkups and she does, she sits with me with my blood draw. I feel like safe and like I'm loved and happy not like to be there but like she's there with me i want to tell my mom thank you for all you do and i love you oh, you're beautiful <laughs>
I have to let her see that this is a gift that God can use. I found it pretty interesting that Elise says about her mom that she thinks of others and she makes people feel safe and happy. And maybe Elise doesn't see this yet, but that's exactly who she is. She does think of others. Her mom was even saying, like at school sometimes, she'll help other kids fill out their planners <laughs> and then come home with hers not done, which I think is the cutest thing ever. But she is, um, so our son Joshua, because of his delays, kind of struggles to have friends. And um, Elise is just so tender with him and so sweet. And like her dad said, like she sees when somebody's different and she loves them. She just does. And it's a natural thing for her. She, Josh will see her at school. I mean, every day, especially, see, I get to see it on the way out when I pick him up. She will run over and give him a hug if she's not on the bus yet. But if she's on the bus, she cracks that window down and she's like, Joshua. He, he just, I mean, the way he lights up just from that one encounter is everything to him. Sometimes it's the best part of his day. So a, a lot of what this is, is, and Tara and I were talking about this, is you take your dream and sometimes have to place it in that basket just as Moses' mother did and release it and allow God to do what he's going to do. And it might not make any sense at first, but we have to trust him with that. When we fully surrender the story that we've written in our hearts, then that just gives God the space to be able to rewrite that story for us. So Moses, Moses' mother, her dream was shattered. Not what she had planned, but she remained faithful. And because of her faith, she was fearless. And because of that fearless faith, that's exactly who Moses became. Samuel was a man of prayer because his mother was a woman of prayer. Jesus was a man of obedience and gentleness and kindness and sacrifice because his mother was. All of these women at one point had to say, he's yours and I give him, I give him to you. Elise, she thinks of others and makes them feel safe and happy and loved. That's exactly who Tara is. And maybe some of these women wouldn't become those things if it weren't for that one thing that kind of pulled their dream away in a different direction. I was reading about um, Mother Teresa in a book about some of the, the um, seven of the most influential women. Well, she's definitely a world changer. She won a Nobel Peace Prize, and it's because she just went to the bottom of the barrel for humanity and just served and loved them. It talks about how she would bathe people and teach them just about hygiene. I mean, just simple things, but to us, it's like, that's gross. I mean, I'll give money or I'll do something... No, she went, she did the ultimate for people. But that didn't just come out of nowhere. What we don't hear much about is her mother. Her mom and dad had three children. When she was eight years old, her dad died suddenly, and it was still a mysterious death. He had a partner in his business. The partner took everything, leaving her mom with nothing. So they were now in poverty world. Instead of her mom just wallowing in that and allowing her crushed dreams to take her to such a deep, dark place. She got her eyes off of herself and every day did something to serve somebody. Oftentimes, she was giving food to the poor when they barely had any themselves. She was taking care of people that were sick, dressing their wounds. She often would go to people's homes where the, the family, all of them were sick, and she would just clean their house for them. So Mother Teresa didn't just come by this necessarily 
as natural as we might have think, thought. She came by it because her mother lived that out in front of her when things did not go exactly how she had planned and hoped they would. Most moms that I talk to feel overlooked, feel undervalued. Um, not that all our days are bad, not that all our dreams are crushed, because there are some really awesome, precious days, but there are some hard days where people don't see you scraping the poop off the back of the toilet, okay? Or they don't see your kid screaming about how much they hate the food that you just made them. They don't see, don't, they don't see those things, because that happens to me a lot. The food thing happens to me a lot. But it's being faithful. It's, it's praying. It's being obedient to God. And it's having gentle, non-reactive responses to our kids. It's thinking of others and helping them find a safe and happy place in us when things don't go just right. Great success is not money. It's not position. I'm telling you, if my kid becomes the most successful and well-known whatever, but they're a jerk, then I will feel like I have failed miserably. I would rather them be completely unknown but faithful in the few things and loving others but if they're going to become known, I want them to be known for how they love and how they live like Jesus. Um, it's kind of like my girls play soccer. So it's like the person that makes the goal, it still never ceases to amaze me. The way the ball gets to them, the assist, if it didn't get there, I mean, half the time that person is just there at the right time. I mean, no offense, goal makers, okay? But sometimes they're just there at the right time. And I'm like, that assist was amazing. Like, what about them? The person that made the goal is running down, yeah, you know, everybody's high-fiving them. And the person, or the person that made the goal, the person that made the assist is like, you know, high-fiving the person that made the goal. But, I mean, the assist is a big deal. That's what we are. Moms are the assist to our kids. We set them up for failure or for success, whichever that's going to be. Jason and I had a date night, um, and we've mentioned this, I think, before. It was a couple years ago where we were actually on our way somewhere, and we ended up turning around and coming back home. Um, the boys were with a sitter, and so it was good for us to, because they're too little to get this, but it was good for us to sit with our girls and have a conversation because we're like, I just have noticed, like, you know, like, say, Cammie, um, we're talking to her about her something, something, confronting her about something, and she just goes into shutdown mode. Um... And then Jason's like, yeah, I do that, you know? Or, man, Allie is just, like, becoming super reactive. And I'm like, yeah, I do that. And so we're going through it, and we're starting to recognize, like, their negative behaviors are just mimicking what we're, what we're living out in front of them. I mean, I see it in my boys even sometimes. Like, they're, they're like, Caleb, man, that kid, he's witty. But, oh, it gets me. And I'm like, don't talk like that to me. And then I'm like, I know I do that so bad. And so I have, to, I have to admit that. And so we came home with our girls, and we just sat down and said, all right, here's what we see. These are the good things that we see. I see, Cammie, man, you are so good at just making people feel so loved. You just, you're, she is a hugger, hugger, hugger. Well, guess who else is? Well, not that I'm not a hugger, but Jason is, like, a big hugger. So is she. Like, we went through, like, these great things that we see in them that they get from us, but there's some bad things that we passed on, and we had to apologize. And then we had to talk through, okay, how are we going to adjust this in our family? I mean, I would encourage you guys to do that. I was even thinking with the Veldmans, their son, Drew, what a sweet kid. And he may not be going through what Elise is, but he has a role in that family. If, if you are just a sibling and you're not a parent, like, look at Moses and Aaron and how Aaron came along Moses and how he became 
he helped him become fearless. He had faith, but that fearless thing wasn't there yet. And he helped build security in him. Drew sits with Elise when she's having her treatments, and they read books together a lot. I mean, that's the sweetest thing ever. And to me, what that's doing is just building in her, like, I'm not alone in this. Um, I was thinking, too, about how uh, my parents have invested in me not even knowing it, and how Jason's parents have invested in him not even knowing it. I think about, I mean, his parents had some of the wackiest of the wackos in their home, and that might not sound very nice. I'm just being completely blunt, and what's crazy is Jason is just like, he can deal with anybody. He just loves people, no matter who they are, what they're like, what their background is, or anything, and he said, if there's anything I wish I had more time for, it's just to hear stories from people, and just to be with them. I mean, that came from his parents, and there's no coincidence to the fact that all four of their kids are serving just exactly the way they did. That's what they learned. They grew up around it. My parents, I've seen them go through some really hard things, and right now they're going through one of the hardest things, and that is watching my mom battle cancer. And man, it's been, I mean, I, it's been several years, and God has given us way more than we ever thought with her, but she's in, um, this is the final chemo. Like, she's been through four different chemos. This is the final one she just started. And she's been sick a lot the last couple weeks, which is a new thing for us. And, man, I feel for my dad to watch her go through that and the way he fights for her, but to be in a place where he can't fix it. He's such a fixer. And my mom and dad and the way they're handling it with such grace and just like, we fully trust God. And there have been so many things in our life, watching my sister go through such a horrible divorce, and they were just so supportive, and we just trust God. This doesn't make sense, but we trust God. And man, I feel like, I feel like God has given that to me. It didn't just come out of nowhere. I feel like he's given that to me because I've seen it in them over and over and over, so many countless things, even when I was little, just seeing things where they were just like, we trust, we trust God. So what are those things that you're passing to your kids and how you respond when things don't go just right. Um, it was interesting even today, I was eating my breakfast sandwich from McDonald's in the car by myself. <laughs> um, and I turned, I was praying about this morning and I turned on the radio and there's a song that has been like um, an anthem song for my mom through what she's going through. And, um, I've heard it so many times and um, just haven't, I guess, fully listened to the words. I always think I do, but I even had a, Dave and Kate Croft made this really cool plaque thing for her to put up with one of the lines in it. Um, but I turned on the radio and this song came on and it was right at this verse and I was like, wow. Um, when my hopes and dreams, whoops, when my hopes and dreams Sorry, it keeps going away. There we go. When my hopes and dreams are far from me and I'm running out of faith, I see the future and I, and I picture slowly, I see the future and I picture slowly fade away. And when the tears of pain and heartache are pouring down my face, I find my peace in Jesus' name. So what we see in the future when it's not turning out the way we want it to, we can find our peace in Jesus and that I was just like, wow, that, the timing of that was really good for my heart. I don't even remember that, that verse. Um, but today I thought it would be kind of neat to have Emily Downing 
come and pray to close us out. I was texting her mom about it, and she asked, like, so how's your day been? And I said, well, it's been kind of a crazy week. Jason was, had to be gone for most of the week, and my kids just seem a little extra needy. Sorry if any of them are here, but you just feel needy to me this week. So, <laughs> um, so, I, I, so she sent back just the sweetest prayer, and it, it just ministered to my heart so much, and I just thought, well, that's not ironic that she alone has been through so much heartache and heartbreak and, and dreams not going the way you planned with a very sick kid at times and, and just heartache and loss. Um, but she turned to prayer when God chose to rewrite some of her story and bring this sweet girl into her life. Um, so she's a woman of prayer, and guess who else is? Uh, I was doing Kids Zone one day, and um, she prayed, and I thought, after she was done praying, I just thought, man, that girl just, she feels really confident talking to God. Like, she knows who she's talking to. So I thought it would be a really sweet way to end our service today um, to have Emily pray for us. And it should be on. Yes, it is. Now you know it's on. Okay. <laughs> Dear Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you that we get to, uh, like, everybody just, we're happy that everybody can spend time with our family this Mother's Day. And just, Lord, just please watch out for, make sure all the, all the people that, um, that are, like, sick or, like, not, or um, having a bad Mother's Day, just... Please um, change that and make it into a good Mother's Day. Please, just everybody in the world, just please be happy. And and anybody who is not, I hope that I hope that changes and it will go back to happiness. And just Lord, just please watch out, watch out for all the all of the all of the families in the world and the in the in the, in the babies who are crying in the world, just make sure that they have a good rest of their day and everybody else in the world. Just I hope that everybody in the world will have a good um, rest of their um, day. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, Emily. <laughs> Thank you, Emily. And that concludes our service today. I hope you have a great Mother's Day.